Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard the TV Pilots License Flight Number One with service to Los Angeles, California, aka Hollywood. We ask that you please fasten your Bose headphones at this time and secure your podcasting device and make sure to have your limo reservations set for your arrival. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And with that, welcome to the TV Pilots License Podcast. My name is Jeff Kerbis, and I am joined by Rich Inman and Max Singer. How y'all doing today? Oh my God, you guys, this is one of my favorite shows of all time, legitimately. I I love this show so much because I know how bad it is, and I'm so excited to to get into this. What the world needed more than anything was to hear three dudes breakdown entourage yeah yeah i think we do a great job of representing this tv show's true target demographic of white dudes in their 30s really thinking i'll be a star one day and this is what it'd like be like with my friends oh absolutely roe versus wade world what the world needs now oh no (laughs) <laughs> oh no we have to cancel the podcast one episode in. Oh, did, I, did, did i ruin did i ruin this a minute in well you know hopefully we have more than one podcast but max can you tell <laughs> the folks at home what this podcast is about for sure so tv pilots license we are going to talk about one of our favorite things collectively which are just the pilot episodes of tv shows uh, we're going to break down shows that you may know and love some you've never heard of for very good reason uh, and along the way, we're going to find out what worked, what didn't work, why these things got picked up, and we hope you have some fun along the way. Excellent. Rich, you know, any thoughts off the top on the concept of Entourage? Oh, boy. I mean, nothing says 2003 like, hey, we haven't gotten enough of celebrities yet. This is pre-social media. This is like pre, uh, you know, just a widespreading understanding of what fame is then because there's no way you could uh you could make a show about fame right now because it's so it's such a wide definition and i'm super excited that we get to go back and see what this was like basically before camera phones existed and this show is from such like a fun little bit of american pop culture history where we were just obsessed with southern california it's like so this show premieres on july 18th 2004 and in maybe the 18 months before it, you've got the OC, you've got Laguna Beach, which spins off into the hills. Like American pop culture just loved like the rich and famous life of Southern California and nothing encapsulates that more than Entourage, like the most excessive part of that. And I would really say like, this was also just, I remember 2003, I was very much like Vince Chase, you know, in middle school, no fame whatsoever. I was thriving with my MySpace top six and really just enjoying life and enjoying one thing that I think really did peak around that time. MTV was the biggest channel for our time period, at least in 2003. You had Room Raiders, you had Next, you had um, Real World, and it just seemed like the place to be, to be at least somewhat relative and somewhat cool was Southern California. So this was just another peek into what 
you know, I assume life is like, I have this gigantic Hollywood sign behind me, but yeah, I can Max see it. And, yeah, amazing. Max and Rich, you experienced Thanks for flying it every out. day. I know. I, <laughs> I made the trip just to talk about Entourage. And if you've never watched Entourage before, I hope you watch it before you watch this pilot so you can join in. But Entourage follows the film star Vince Chase navigating the vapid terrain of Los Angeles with a close circle of friends and his trusty agent. But it's about so much more than that. And Max, before we dive too much into the pilot itself, I'd love to hear a little bit about how this was made. For sure. Uh, so the showrunner on Entourage is a guy named Doug Ellen. Uh, you may know him from Entourage and the Entourage movie, uh, but he did some things before <laughs> this. Uh, he had a couple of indie films that he had written in the 90s. Uh, he did like a beach party comedy with Coolio called Fat Beach in the mid-90s. Uh, fat with a PH because it was the mid-90s. Yeah. Nothing uh, says mid-90s a- like a Coolio lead, like a Coolio at the top of your call sheet. Uh, yeah, when Coolio's your number one, like, you're going to number one. Uh, he had a little rom-com with David Schwimmer and Jason Lee, I think, pre-Scientology, called Kissing a Fool. He was a staff writer on a short-lived show with Bonnie Hunt called Life with Bonnie that I think was on ABC. Oh, I remember and, Life with Bonnie. Absolutely. Of oh, course, the natural segue of Life with Bonnie, Bonnie and <laughs> It's actually really about Bonnie Hunt's rise to stardom. She um, is Vinny Chase. But while it's created, you know, in credit by Doug Ellen, it's really created by Mark Wahlberg and his longtime manager slash production partner, Steven Levinson. Uh, Entourage, for those who don't know, is inspired by Mark Wahlberg's 90s days in Hollywood and his ascent to stardom. Uh, And so all the characters in the show are based on real life people from Mark Wahlberg's life. Uh, Mark Wahlberg is Vincent Chase. Steven Levinson plays Eric. Uh, there's actually a guy named Johnny Drama Alves, who is a cousin of his, who's the inspiration for drama. And of course, Donnie Donkey Carroll, who becomes Turtle. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, love, I love that they kept, they kept an animal name for the same guy. They that kept, is incredible. They, they kept drama and they kept a donkey name. And what's great is everybody <laughs> claims that they are the inspiration for Entourage, like everyone in the circle. Uh, Mark Wahlberg says that his assistant just asked if he could film him and his buddies because they were, quote, hilarious in an interview that I saw. Which I'm sure they are. Happened. Uh, Donnie Carroll wrote a book called From the Hood to Hollywood, A Soldier's Story, which he claims is the inspiration for the show. Oh, and so no. basically everybody thinks that they are the reason this show gets made. And lo and behold, we fast forward to July 18th, 2004, and Entourage finally premieres. And some, something I love about the synopsis of, of Entourage that you read, Jeff, is that um, it's so not about the complications of fame or, or any downsides, really. I don't think in the eight seasons of Entourage they do, has anyone ever come to grapple with the is fame really what I want? It is as vapid as it gets. It is like, give me, give me a premiere. Give me random women who won a K Rock contest over to my house to to have sex. Like I want, I want absolutely. I want to do a movie that I absolutely hate for an extraordinary amount of money, and and that's that's truly what I love about this show. It is extremely unapologetic. This show is candy. That is the only way to describe this show. It has zero substance. You eat it, and then you think, hmm, 
I need some more candy to fill up. And I, if you have too much candy, I don't know about y'all, but you don't feel so great afterwards. Before we get into really, you know, our main flight and our main voyage of the pilot itself, I did have to add, Max, that I do love talking about who directed these pilots because they do get that producing credit throughout the entirety of the show. We had David Frankel, who might sound familiar because he directed Devil Wears Prada, Band of Brothers, oh. as well as Marley and Me and Sex in the City. This guy loves Adrian Grenier so much. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't? But just a quick note before we get too into it, I want to just set up that David Frankel actually got an Emmy nomination for this episode we're about to talk about for Outstanding Directing for a Comedy Series. Uh, he does lose to Desperate Housewives, but Oof. we're talking about Emmy-nominated direction yeah, that is garage pilot. That is a very <laughs> amazing footnote in the history of the show. Well, Boy. let's talk about this pilot, right? We are brought in to sunny Los Angeles at the studio, really just eating lunch. And you can oh, tell- yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and in that moment, I directly was inserted back into 2003, right? There are low rise jeans, there are hummers, there is hip hop playing in the background. And we are introduced only by a Yankees cap to one of the beloved characters of the entourage itself. It's our boy Turtle from Queens, New York. One of the most important characters, I think, I, you know, I didn't go back and count. I think Turtle has the most lines in the entire show. I, I would have to agree with you, Rich, but from the initial introduction to Turtle, we meet the rest of this entourage eating lunch, being buffoons at <laughs> this uh, very Add nice meal. Beers. Yeah, lunch beers, talking about their Nike hookups, signing posters to get deals. And immediately, I understand these people are friends, but there is no exposition as to what they do other than Vince is an actor of some fame because he is on a movie poster with Jessica Alba and his name comes before Jessica Alba. So we automatically are given some idea of Top how billing, famous baby. he is. How, if we were to compare Vince to current Hollywood, Ooh. who would he compare to? This was something that oh. I was racking my brain around because also, you know, I love a lot of comedians, but I look at Vince and I'm like, oh, he is very much just the eye candy you put in front of the screen, not hoping for much acting skill, but hoping to get, as we saw in the premiere, a bunch of women screaming because you exit a limousine first. Now, okay, so I'm glad you brought this up because I did not think about this until right now, but I think the closest we have to what he's dealing with at this particular like moment of like uprising fan, I think would be Chalamet. I didn't, that's not just because he has the curly hair and that's Ooh. immediately where my brain went in the first moment, but he seems super young. Uh, well, he, he's 10 years removed from high school, so 28. Like yeah. yeah um so i think we're at that particular crux of his career where he could like easily take a step into something like monumental like a james cameron movie or um or you know he can continue to do like more artsy films or something like that like obviously he chalamet just did dune uh vinnie chase goes to uh eventually goes to um 
you know, doing a James Cameron movie. He does Queens Boulevard, et cetera. But I think, uh, I think that is where he's at right now in his career. I get really big Miles Teller vibes from Vinny Chase. He's just this, he's this bro. He's one of these dudes. I feel like he's going to cause a little trouble around town. Like there's something a little bit edgy about him. Uh, like he has this blockbuster potential at the end of the day. Like it's about the boys. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's about that crew. The one thing about Vincent Chase's 2004 leading man fame that I'm jealous of is he's just, the dude's never lifted a weight in his life. He's just a, a scrawny dude who's got a big old head and a floppy mop top of hair. And he's just allowed to like be himself. There's no crash dieting for this movie with Jessica Alba. There was no 12 week training plan. He, like, he just showed up on set had a script, made a movie, and he's the biggest star in like Hollywood right now. Now, now, now Max, what what uh, what connected you to that character of Vinny Chase? Because that sounds an awful lot like someone I know. As a scrawny individual with a big old <laughs> floppy mop top of hair uh, who also has starred in a Jessica Alba film. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So I did want to interject too, since we're since we're right now we're in the middle of the pilot. Did anyone catch the most 2003 thing of all time in the title sequence before the episode even gets going? It's only in there for maybe a half a second. You're talking about the opening credits? Opening credits. The only thing that got my attention in that opening sequence, which is magnificent, by the way, I think that is one of the most memorable opening credits of the early 2000s. Lincoln Continental, baby. Was the, yeah, the, the Continental blew my mind. And I said, yep, that's when I wanted that car. With the suicide doors, it's perfect. Um, so in a tiny flash of when they're driving through Hollywood, you get a sign advertising a new album from a hot new band uh, called Hot Fuss by The Killers, Ooh. which is right in the smack dab in the middle of, uh, of that uh, title sequence. And I, God, I love it so much. Get to the premiere. We obviously learn uh, via a few moments that Vince is a recently single um mm. as his ex-girlfriend does appear. Allie Larder I know which <laughs> who they, who let, they let's call legally blonde in the, in the episode <laughs> <laughs> which was a, a joke that truly took me aback um I will say looking at that moment and looking at the premiere I did half expect with drama talking up his single line in the movie that they were going to cut that scene from the movie that was the one joke i was really just hungry for of just Damn. drama yelling at people because he thought, yeah it would have been great but anything else stick out to you in that uh really that after party of sorts so the after party does this amazing thing where in four consecutive shots we establish every single character's like personality so well you see Vince really uncomfortable with the like producers and having to play up like the business side of stardom. You could tell that he's not really comfortable in his skin with this new role yet. You see drama, I think like throwing a punch and flexing and showing that he's this macho actor star still. Uh, you see E kind of like nervously uh, surveying the whole scene, very much guarded. 
and you uh, see Turtle going around saying, I'm on ass patrol and telling uh, women that Vince Chase loves to go night swimming and just trying to find random people the spirit to bring back to the house. And it's like everyone's motivation is so well set up in just four quick cuts. And we also are introduced very quickly to Vince's agent, Ari Gold. Uh, Ari Gold played by Jeremy Piven. This is probably, I would say, Jerry, Jeremy Piven's most influential role in pop culture as a whole. And we whoa, come whoa, to... Whoa, whoa. I don't want any slander on the on the goods, the legend of Don Reddy uh, movie <laughs> that uh, I truly love and have a very personal connection with. Jeremy Piven has this weird, like, Benjamin Button career in Hollywood where he goes from... Oh, it's called Hair Plugs. <laughs> besides those but like works his way up from like Seinfeld cameo to Emmy winning role on this show and like now is doing clubs for trying to get a burgeoning stand-up career going it's like he went to the peak and then started doing stand-up comedy and Rich you mentioned it uh there was an Emmy win for this there were three Emmy wins uh for this role as well and he was not the only one our dear friend drama also received Emmy nominations, Whoa. but never won an Emmy, which I feel like is the most appropriate drama thing to ever happen, where he's very close, but not quite there in a career that seems to be uh, sputtering to an end. But yeah, great for Kevin Dillon, but incredibly on brand for the character. I, I yeah. was going to say that Turtle seemed to be the most successful of his jobs, right? Because after this showing of the film we do have our night swim um which seems to also give us the other side of hollywood as a young burgeoning actor as a whole and it brings me to the question you guys this might be a wait a minute moment but what's the least you've done to make out with someone because <laughs> turtle says he sh will show the girl uh whom he has selected where vince eats breakfast and she seems to be fully on board to the idea of going to first base with him just for that privilege. Well, let, let's, I want you guys to close your eyes and let me paint you a picture really quick. I will. Uh, imagine you're at a party. It's 2015. Ooh. Okay. It's a hot young thing waiting with, uh, waiting with you for the Uber. Oh, hi. And I said, Hey, we got nine minutes. And that's it. <laughs> End of story. <laughs> that, Rich, I was fully there. I was ready. I was about to tell the girl, I'm sorry. I'm in a relationship right now. I think Max was also at this point in time. But I will gladly take you to your automobile. No, you guys got to spend sure. some more reality on this one. <laughs> uh, was there anything that you guys got from that pool scene as a whole, as far as like, did you think it was necessary? We do learn that they live in this gigantic mansion where my immediate question was, do they rent or buy? We do come to find out that they rent that mansion. Um, anything that you guys grabbed from, you know, being at the home space with the entourage itself? 
This place is a mess. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> this place is an absolute It looks like a Dick's mess. Sporting Goods exploded in, in Beverly Hills. Like, just the, the pool toys, the kitchen's a mess. When we see the guest house the next morning, there's just, there's a pitching machine in the yard and truly just like youth sports equipment all over the yard. This place is a sty. It's disgusting. There is one moment that really sticks out with me in this pilot, and I didn't even realize it was in the pilot, but it's the one thing I remember from Entourage, bar none. It stuck with me all these years, and it's them hitting golf balls off the fucking balcony (laughs) into other people's houses in the neighborhood. And it's so mind-blowing to me that someone would have, number one, just like a... a, what's it called uh, a driving range installed on their own balcony but only for the purpose of hitting golf balls towards famous people's houses that's a very expensive habit it, with yeah. the money that they're spending on golf balls they could own that uh, mansion very easily you you would think you would think uh it, so this was a rented mansion that wasn't the mortgage they were paying yeah on. they so we actually i want to talk about it one of the other major plot points in this pilot episode is Ari comes to E and comes to Vince saying, hey, we have this big movie called Matterhorn, which is Die only... Hard at Disneyland. It's yeah, Die Hard at Disneyland. Only <laughs> described as Die Hard at Disneyland, which I immediately was bought in. I oh, said, buddy. I need it. I absolutely need Vince Chase to play the cop at Disneyland saving the day. Oh, yeah. I invested money in a fake movie from a TV show that premiered 18 years ago. I was I was sold. <laughs> I want I want that pilots or I want that script so bad because you know the reason that they don't do it in the episode is quote unquote because the kids keep getting blown up, which I think <laughs> that's probably the right choice that they didn't want to make that particular script. But I want to see Die Hard at Disneyland so badly. How does this not been I made? I want to see it so bad. I think it's just so funny that. This could They're have been Doug Ellen's actual masterpiece. They're poking this much fun at Pirates of the Caribbean dominating the box office the summer before. It's clearly just jumping on this trend, which Disney did. They made a Haunted Mansion movie like a year after this with Eddie Murphy that flopped so bad. Um, I also think it's funny that this whole uh, Matterhorn movie is being written and directed by this like French art house director. And the entire time I was wondering... Do they think that Gore Verbinski, who did Pirates of the Caribbean, is some French art house director? Like, did nobody look him up? Because, like, this dude was doing, like, shoot him up action movies. He's an American filmmaker. But were they just like, oh, Gore Verbinski. Yeah, he sounds European. Yeah, he's, his name is Gore. How could he possibly from, be from America? We did learn a lot about Vince, though, the night after the evening swim and the premiere of the movie. I started to think, after Vince said... E was very much saying, hey, did you read this script? Vince is asking, what did you think? Which is what a manager's job is, right? To read the script, tell him the first and impending thoughts. But the more that Vince opened his mouth, the more I started to think Vince is the worst person in this entire cast of characters. He seems like not only a schlub, but a lazy guy. He has one of my favorite lines ever. And by favorite, I mean, it's terrible. If you, she gets in this airspace, she's going down. Um, there's a lot of things that come up <laughs> that really make me think, oh, maybe I don't want to be friends with this. Look, it was post 9-11 terminology. <laughs> we were all thinking about the war in Iraq at that point. 
we never forget. Remember, we never it's, forgot. It's, we never forgot. It's in everything we do. Um, but Max, what what are your thoughts as far as Vince Chase as a human being? I mean, Vince is just a, a lazy actor. He's just a, a hot shot movie star. Doesn't have time to be bothered by semantics. For me, the worst character in this pilot is Turtle, uh, because everything that Turtle does and is motivated by feels like it's using Vince to do so. Like Turtle's the one trying to figure out the logistics of how they could buy a plane, I think from a drug dealer, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Turtle's just trying to ride Vince's coattails to get someone to hook up with at all of these parties. He's the one spending money on uh, a Rottweiler. Like everything Turtle does is just if he keeps doing what he's doing, there will be no money left for Vince and Chase. Like he just rides Vince so hard. I think Turtle represents that key guy that they tell you to avoid if you win the lottery, which <laughs> is the yes man slash errand boy. Uh, because I mean, his main rule is no girlfriends, no commitments. That's his entire life's mantra. This guy sucks. <laughs> I think Kevin I... Conley personally wrote that line and said, hey, here, use this. I said this in the 90s. <laughs> I think I, I will say, yes, Turtle is probably the most despicable of all the characters, but I think he's the one person that connects them back to living in Queens together because it looks like he never left. It's just, it's just Queens with more money now. And I think if he was still living there, if, if Vince was you know doing community theater in Queens, he would still be trying to figure out how to get Nikes at a discount. I mean, you're talking about Turtle literally wearing a jacket that has the patch of every single New York sports team on it. <laughs> and no, only, no, no commitments. Let's talk about Ari Gold, because he well, is very insistent on Vince doing this movie. Because we do come to find out there's a $4 million payday associated with it. But before we find that out, we get the cameo of all cameos, baby. We get to see the man, the legend himself, dressed head to toe in Sean John sweatsuit, as well as surrounded by his own entourage. A man was wearing a FUBU jersey, which was was the second cameo. Chef's kiss of 2003 fashion. What did we think of the studio lot walk? Oh boy, Marky Mark Wahlberg. There was also a lot of people walking around on that on that lot. Uh, way more. It, it, they made it look like a, like a busy New York street with how many people were walking up and down that. They have spent. I, I can't imagine they spent anything less than two hundred fifty thousand dollars on extras alone. I mean, this is L.A. at 04. They still shot movies here on the lot. <laughs> <laughs> now they're shooting these TikToks. Well, it was nice to see Marky Mark take the time. We do not get to see the director interaction, but we do find out that Vince seemed to have done fantastic and is offered the $4 million payday, which then brings to question, do you think Vince has any interest in reading the script? Absolutely not. Why would he? But he is considering it because Turtle might get a good deal on a G5. Now, there is a side plot that I wanted to discuss with you guys, because this has come up recently with the Leah Michelle news, and it's, can Vince Chase read? And (laughs) I am still (laughs) slightly unconvinced, because when he said he went to go read the script, 
there is a sound of a jet engine in his head. <laughs> for me, either that says <laughs> either that says fourth grade reading level, or it says brain aneurysm, and it doesn't seem like that has impacted him what whatsoever. And uh, afterwards, uh, but I am still a hundred percent, or I'm still not a hundred percent convinced that Vince can fully read that entire script. Well, he admitted that he never read Head On, which is yep. the movie that we're seeing the premiere of. He's like, oh, I didn't know the big twist until I saw it in the theater. <laughs> do, you, do you think he's gone fully Nick Cannon and Drumline where he just can't read sheet music and just goes off of whatever someone plays in front of him? He just learns off of vibes. <laughs> I was going to say, Rich, my, uh, my conspiracy theory is he actually suffers from the most severe case of tinnitus ever known to man <laughs> that has gone undiagnosed. <laughs> this man stood too close to a speaker at one Limp Biscuit concert in 1998. <laughs> I mean, this guy was just eating brown sugar out of the package at one point. Can we talk about that? I oh have that God. in bold 17 point font in my notes. Why was he dipping his finger into a bag of sugar while he's delivering this line? Wait, you've wow. never dipped your entire Literally hand into never. the house uh, bag of sugar? Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Then we're getting somewhere. He's very lucky with big head. We don't know if he God can read. It. We don't know if he can read. And he's just eating sugar raw like it's candy. Is Vincent Chase three toddlers stacked on top of each Maybe that's why I don't like him so much. He's got the personality of a toddler. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, sorry, we were talking about Ari Gold. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, we do eventually, we get little snippets of Ari Gold throughout and little snippets mm -hmm. of Jeremy Piven. But oh boy, finally, we, we get a true introduction to how ruthless Ari Gold is when Vince does one of the things I hate the most. He picks up the phone hands it to someone else and says, I don't want to do this, which, okay, my guy. Oh, impeccable Hollywood attitude, though. I, I literally wanted to punch him through my TV. Was, that, was Vincent Chase the first millennial? That's that what he doesn't for. <laughs> but uh, he passes it to E, right? Isa is invited, which we all know is going to be a bad dinner, but to a very nice sushi dinner where, you know, Ari starts off negotiations by just having a sake that he loves. There's nothing more pretentious. Okay, so let's talk about the dichotomy of Ari Gold for a second, because he starts off his introduction into the show by making the most, like, vicious, uh, racist Asian remark, or uh, racist against Asian remark, uh, screaming at someone out of his car, and then immediately starts, like speaking in J in Japanese and <laughs> recommending sakes at a sushi restaurant. And I'm just like, where is the fucking line? This person is the absolute worst. I've never seen anyone aggressively dip sushi like Ari Gold in that dinner. I mean, just stabbing the soy sauce <laughs> fish. I will say there's something, there's nothing that I love more than watching actors pretend to eat Oof. in dining scenes. Oh, the, baby the amazing work of using utensils as acting devices. You know, a lot of people ask the question, what do I do with my hands when I act? Really, it's what do yeah. I do with these utensils so I don't have to eat this fake food anymore? I don't think that's fake food. I don't know what you guys know about <laughs> Jeremy Piven and his love of sushi. <laughs> oh my God, this is what sparked it. This is a man 
who once allegedly had to drop out of a Broadway production of Speed the Plow because he got mercury poisoning, allegedly, from eating too much sushi for lunch. Uh, I I truly, I I don't think there are a lot of redeeming factors about Ari Gold, and uh, I say that as a manager for a living. Uh, I think there is, I I totally understand his quest for money. I I think there is, uh, I think his, no, okay, so we're, we immediately establish how naive he is by having like basically like giving horrible or giving like really bad news to Ari by saying Vince doesn't like the the script and neither do I, which his opinion really doesn't matter to Ari at all. And then immediately saying, Oh, Ari just wants to have dinner. Nope. You fucking idiot. Why would you, why would you possibly think that that would end well? And it's what very clear. Pizza boy. Yeah, you also establish the fact that Ari is going to use E's past against him, and despite like going from managing a Sabaros to uh, a year and a half later being like a hotshot Hollywood manager, I-, I think that's pretty impressive that he was able to make that turn. But he's immediately going to butt heads with Ari because Ari grew up in Hollywood. Is just a, a very angry, aggressive. Jewish person, like I have no idea what two, what what do you two think? Two quick is notes happen? on that: I do at least appreciate the guys refer to E as managing an Italian restaurant when really he was the night manager of a Sapporo <laughs> in Queens. Uh, and it's also just like Ari dressed for the job you want. Yeah, he's like he's scum, but it's also kind of funny to me that the guy who's good at his job is the foil, <laughs> <laughs> the guy who's trying to get his hotshot client to like think straight and get on track is viewed as the villain. That is true. Yeah, he he is the he seems to be the only voice of reason, but he's the angriest and most racist voice in the in the uh, in the franchise. It's definitely. Ari Gold, I think, does a really great job of representing 2003 humor of why people love this character so much is he does represent that sort of very crass, um, you know, on the edge concept of what was popular back then. Like we're literally talking about Louis C.K. starting to burgeon at this time of like just going far enough along the edge, maybe dipping down to come back out again and make you be like, oh, wow, this guy's really funny and I want to hear what he has to say. All that in mind, he does tell him no and does get Vince to also back him up eventually. It's such a bad move. <laughs> because, it's such a bad move. Because now present A-lister Colin Farrell's about to take that role. Which is maybe the biggest 2003 2004 a-list name they could throw out at this point like this oh is, and vince vaughn yeah like this is colin farrell like dominating like clubs and tabloids this is like the peak of his hot young hollywood phase before he pivoted to being one of the most interesting character actors of our time now but this is like sex machine colin well, actually he did have a sex tape but this is like <laughs> sex machine, hot stuff colin farrell taken away this massive role from our boy Vinny Chase. Colin Farrell is a sex tape? Hold on, can we pause this? I mean, we could, but I'm going to, as Rich is searching, uh, you know, what he's going to watch later. Um, Max, what did you think of, I was actually, we started to see the depth of Ari Gold in a flash of a moment when he gave Vince and E the news that like, hey, Colin Farrell uh, took this role. Do you think, you know, since we are a pilot-based episode 
uh, and we only care about the pilots. Do you think there is any hope for Ari Gold having some form of depth as a character? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think that Ari is a very passionate person, which unfortunately comes across in, you know, rage and I, I'm sure violent outbursts. But I do think that he really cares about this guy so much, whether it's wanting to look out for him or wanting to make money off him. I, I It could just be transactional, but like, I don't know. I, I think Ari has levels here uh i do want to explore them i think he's the most interesting character in this pilot uh and yeah i, I do want to see more ari gold he is definitely yeah. the person we see the least of the main cast but as you said definitely the person that also gives us the most um but as far as ending this pilot right we go from finding out this big news to we're gonna go hypothetically to Vegas to, nope, we're going to the high school reunion back in Queens, but not before we get one of what the crew, the entourage thinks is the greatest prank ever over <laughs> one of my favorite pieces of product placement ever to get four sets of Bose headphones so that they can go onto the plane. Oh, this is this is quite the I'm gonna tell the story on Jimmy Kimmel Live type uh, type prank. Uh, lead, lead us through it, Jeff. Lead, lead us through the uh, the ins and outs of the greatest prank ever pulled. Oh, I mean, the boys are laughing so much when they uh, let Turtle go and drive separately from the rest of them. Keep in mind, this is 2003. We don't have Lyft. We don't have Uber. Getting a taxi or a limousine is going to be a pain in the ass for this entire trip. From there, they have him go in the bright yellow H2 with the sticker uh, that I can only say is very much LGBTQ plus uh, friendly. And all the boys are laughing because homophobia is really funny in 2003. If you had to describe early aughts masculinity in America, it is the image of a Hummer H2 with a bumper sticker uh, that says, I heart cock. (laughs) (laughs) And that is how we end the episode, right? Got him. That is it. So we've talked a lot about what happened in the episode. Are there any things that we missed that you really loved about that episode? Oh, sure. I mean, uh, let's talk about the soundtrack for a sec. In addition to a, oh my God, how much money that they spend on this pilot? Because it is an exorbitant amount. You can tell from just the number of extras they have, the number of like, you know, expensive scenes that they have to do, the cars they have to rent. Um, obviously, we have our, uh, our you know, theme song, which is going to stick with the show for the re- remainder of it. Uh, Superhero by Jane's Addiction. Uh, Max? Oh, yeah. There it is. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, We have uh, right off the bat, Rocky Mountain Way by Joe Walsh, Eminence Front by The Who, Hey Ya by Outkast, which had just come out and was probably blowing up at that point. Extremely expensive. Uh, We have the song Fire by Joe Budden featuring uh, Buster Rhymes. We have uh, Ooh by De La Soul featuring Redman. We have Cold Hard Bitch by Jet, which is, is the most... That I was think that the track of my middle school life. Which Boy, I just want to clarify, Cold Hard Bitch by Jet is yeah, whereas Superhero <laughs> by Jet's is, is oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, 
it, it's subtle, but it's very, it's very important to distinguish these two. Carry on. <laughs> Absolutely. And then we we close out with uh, fresh off the uh, the black album Lucifer by Jay Z, which uh, which closes out the episode. But I for a pilot episode. HBO must have been going into this like absolutely guns ablazing. They're like that we're HBO is now the Entourage Network. With this, this has to be like we we just hit the we just hit the nail on the head with Sopranos. Like how like how hard are they going into this uh, this pilot season with with that much money thrown towards just the music? Well, this is really where HBO as a network starts to make this leap into like the beginnings of the prestige TV era. Sopranos is at its peak of popularity. It's winning Emmys. Uh, you're seeing Six Feet Under become really successful. We're beginning to uh, tiptoe in some of their more large experimental stuff. I think Carnival is around this time as well. And so you are really seeing HBO become the powerhouse cable TV channel breaking away from some of the limitations of like the traditional network structure. So yeah, I mean, money's just being thrown at this point. Incredible. And we are coming towards the end of one of the pillars of HBO, right? This was the end of Sex in the City. And what better way? Really. 2004 was the end of Sex in the City. So we were a oh. year out. HBO is trying to stack the deck to set up to make sure that they have something. And what better way to you know, replace a very empowering female-led show than with Entourage. <laughs> the, most, <laughs> the most misogynistic show of the last 30 years. <laughs> um, Anything else that y'all loved about this uh, episode, this pilot? I, I want to separate this into a, a new segment I call Rich's Tattoo Breakdown. Um, uh, number one uh, in our tattoo breakdown, uh, E has truly the smallest chest tattoo that I've ever seen in my life. It is a maybe quarter size tattoo on the top of his pec that just says luck on it, which, oh my God, truly horrendous. I, I, I can't imagine a more pasty Irishman with a smaller, less like important tattoo to his uh, to his body. Do you think that is a character choice for Eric Murphy, or does Kevin Connolly have that tattoo? That is small enough where it's just like I have to imagine Kevin Connolly just has that tattoo. I'm not going to look up. I don't want to end up on a certain list for googling. What does Kevin Connolly look like without a uh, without a shirt on? Um, but I did have another amazing coming in and a hot number two. I want you guys to guess really quick, and because it's only in the episode for a hot second, Johnny Drama has a very clear tattoo of what NCAA mascot on his calf. I'm gonna go with the Syracuse Orangeman mascot. Oh, what a great guess, Jeff! What do you got? I am going to go with the Boston College Eagle. Wow. Oh, amazing choice. Weird choice for someone from Queens, but <laughs> you, <laughs> uh, very clearly in the, in one of the lounging scenes, you get a very sharp uh, zoom in on Johnny Drama's calves, which become a focus of future episodes because he's obsessed with calf and plants. Uh, he has a very clear tattoo of the of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish Leprechaun on his leg, and that is not explained. And I have to imagine it's just the actor's tattoo. <laughs> I mean, what a pull, Rich Max! Is there anything that you absolutely loved about this pilot? 
I mean, I really just have to give a shout out to Doug Ellen for writing the line, my Melrose Place Fallout pussy for Johnny Drama to say out loud. <laughs> um, no, I, I have to give an honest shout out to the fact that we just drop into this world as you jumped upon earlier, Jeff. This is like you, you enter late and you leave early. This is textbook screenwriting. We start with an intro theme. There's no exposition. We're just launched into the world of this show. And there is sort of like an intrigue because you're just thrust into all this excess right off the bat that I can't believe I'm saying it's like makes Entourage really effective as a TV pilot. I, I would have to agree with you. Um, I'm not going to take a quote from the show. I'm going to take a quote from my wife, which uh, I shared with both of y'all uh, when she literally said, Oh my God, how did this get made? Can we watch another episode? <laughs> um, That's what they were going for. I mean, I think that really sums up what you said, Max. There was something about this that really captures you. And because it's only a very tight 27 minute pilot, you'd think to yourself, I can watch another one or I can't wait to hear a little bit more and learn a little bit more about these okay, characters. Okay, so we know that this pilot is for... Jeff's wife, who else is this pilot episode for? Oh boy, uh, uh, do we have the answer for you? Uh, I would say this pilot is for definitely someone with no fat chicks on their Tinder profile. <laughs> I would say that's uh, that's a pretty sizable uh, uh, chunk of their audience. Yeah, I'd have to give Entourage a rec for guys who are eliminated on MTV's Next. Incredible. Uh, people who go to Salt Bay restaurant on a first date. Uh, dudes who used the phrase last night was a movie. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and obviously anyone who holds up a giant fish or poses in front of a car that they don't own on their Tinder profile. I mean, that is a very, uh, are we painting a good picture? I, that's a great picture. Could this pilot be made today? Do we think that the humor of 2003, at least in its current form could be made today or what is a transition into the 2022 version of Entourage. Oh God, they're all TikTokers by now. That all, all four of them. This is just takes place in a TikTok creator mansion. If we're if we're rerouting it to 2020, but or 2022. Oh my God, uh, but oh my God. I mean, absolutely not with the way it is written because uh, Ari right off the bat. Uh, Actually, two main characters make racist Asian jokes in in the episode, like very quickly. And also, Tur Turtle just drops the R word, which is like the most like it's probably the heaviest indicator of a like you know pre social media type show where the where the guys want to see Majesty. But I mean, in the in the landscape of movies right now. You probably could, but definitely not with this type of language. Yeah, I don't think that this particular pilot could get made or greenlit into like 2022. I think A, the content, the jokes, the humor and fodder there, but also uh, something about this era with celebrity is so intriguing because there's secrecy to it still. It's like you have to you know, get a tabloid photo if you want to see someone out. We're just before the peak of like the nastiness of it, where like it became destructive for people. But we're also still before social media where someone could like go to a club, go to dinner, and it wasn't being photographed everywhere. So I just don't think a show about 
the inner working of a celebrity even works in this fashion anymore because we just see everything that they do now. I'd also say that I think we have the real thing. We don't need a TV show anymore. Keeping up with the Kardashians, um, the vlogging style that a lot of the TikTokers have, uh, you know, Rich and I are both big F1 guys. Uh, Charles Leclerc literally released a vlog of a day in the life himself. He doesn't need a TV crew to do it. He just needs a camera and it already has a million views after three days. Yeah, uh, we don't have MTV Cribs anymore. We have the Architectural Digest Tour. <laughs> I think that this show does have or did have a network uh, if it still existed. And it actually was syndicated on this network. And that's Spike TV. If Spike Ooh. TV oh, yeah. was still around, oh, yeah. I still think that there would be a greenlit, much lesser budgeted version of this show <laughs> around. You I, mentioned I, Architectural Digest, and I want to see Vinny Chase lead a Vogue 73 <laughs> questions through that house so badly. Yeah, but he can't read the questions, Max. He can't read them. Okay, I do want to pop in really quick because we're we're you know we're 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 closing out the we're reaching the end of the line here, but I did want to throw in one little last quiz question, uh, and that is including the title sequence. How soon into the series do they make a dick joke? And I okay, so option number one, five minutes in. Option number two, ten minutes in. Option number three, two minutes in. Option including the title sequence and option number five or option number four is uh 15 minutes in i'm gonna go with c two minutes it's the gray sweatpants joke where they're discussing vince on the movie poster absolutely yeah. incredible i uh, i would definitely say that is has to be correct we'll edit in a ding 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 sound but there's no goddamn way knowing what turtles character is like that he saw heaven can wait starring warren Beatty. yeah that is a really just the peak of this what i can only call as frat dude gilmore girls banter uh yeah. which that litters this show <laughs> so we have talked about the pilot we are coming towards our descent as the tv pilots of this podcast and i have Trays to ask gentlemen seat belts are on yeah we're we turned on the seatbelt light for that final descent you know if you're getting ready to take up. off your headphones maybe your laundry is done or you're finishing up that workout would you continue watching this show past the pilot and bonus question would you watch matterhorn the movie oh god matterhorn 100 yes it's die hard at disneyland it's die hard at disneyland <laughs> hangs up the phone yeah there's no there's no way on earth i wouldn't watch die hard at disneyland sign me the fuck up put it on disney plus put it on paramount plus put it on something i don't i have to pay 12.99 a month to go watch i will go watch that movie uh i think i'm very much in the same place as your wife jeff i think i would shake my head and then hit next episode there's no there's no way i'm not watching another one because i want to see I want to see decadence. I want to see stupidity. I want to see probably the worst sex any of these people have ever had in their lives. Yeah, I would pay the Disney Plus premium surcharge to watch Matterhorn like they did with Cruella and Mulan. Uh, and I don't want to admit it, but 
this show is like the brown sugar that Vinny chases just rub it on the inside of his gums. <laughs> I cannot get enough of it. I am Ari Gold aggressively dipping more episodes into his soy sauce at the sushi bar. These people love condiments. This is just such pure junk food and in a world of everything being prestige TV, I think we could just use a little bit of junk food to break that up once in a while. And Entourage is that 100%. And to round out the crew, it's three yeses, boys. Because we are season. getting all of the cones telling us to land this beauty because this pilot really hits, all right? It is, as I said, it is candy there are ridiculous jokes there are moments where you have to snicker because sometimes a writer is going to find a bone and get a joke that's going to hit even 19 years later right um but you leave the episode thinking what is going to happen to this group of assholes is vince going to grow a soul is ari gold finally going to teach vince how to read is he going to be more than a Sabaro manager? Will he finally be Vince's manager? Will drama find a role? And will Turtle get a real job? These are all questions that I ask at the end of this pilot. And really, when we look at the success of Entourage, if you choose to watch the show, I've got some great news for you. Not only does it have eight seasons, but it also has a movie. A um, movie. The show also has gotten multiple Emmy nominations as well as awards. It got Golden Globe Awards as well for Outstanding Supporting Actor. It got some for Directing as well and Best wow. Comedy. Um, in addition, one of my favorite stats, this is a show that you might want to watch the first few seasons and then stop. Uh, because the first episode, just like we talked about, got great reviews, especially Kevin Dillon, and uh, Jeremy Piven. First season as a whole, if you follow the rating system, got a 68 overall, which is pretty decent. And then it started to rocket up. It got all the way to a 77 rating, which is really good. And then it started to go <laughs> down from there. And if you remember what I said, there were five more seasons. Um, it was syndicated on Spike TV and WGN America which Incredible. the second one is chef's kiss. You would <laughs> never baby. think of uh, that it would appear on that. After but this Cubs game, as we land, entourage. you know, we're pulling into the terminal. Boys, do we have any sign-offs? Do we have any closeouts that we want to tell the audience? Yeah, listen, if you like what you heard today and you have questions such as the ones Jeff proposed, uh, TV Pilots License is also going to be doing a book club, and our first read is going to be From the Hood to Hollywood, A Soldier's <laughs> Story by Dottie Donkey Carroll. So pick up a copy. <laughs> and, and I'm still trying to make my way through Matterhorn, but I keep having the sound of a jet engine in my head every time I try to get through it. Very um, good. I think, I think my sign-off would be, uh, you kidding? We are Queens Boulevard. Oh, yeah! <laughs> well, you can find us at this channel, wherever you find podcasts, we are going to be out. If you have questions about the show, shoot us an email at tvpilotslicense at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter as well as Instagram. And you 
can also find us ourselves outside of the show on twitter i'm at run jeff run max where are you at right now you can find me on all socials at maxwell sing and, and rich don't look for me all no, right. I'm on I'm on Instagram at damn that's rich uh, on Twitter at oh no that's rich on Venmo at official uh, official Arby's. So if you want to find more of us, make sure to find us on the socials and be sure to like, slam that subscribe button, Woo! and we can't wait to be the voices in your ears sometime soon. Thanks for flying with us. Day.